We live in a world that is forever changing, from one day to the next. Now add to that an inner world that is forever at odds with itself. How does one accomplish anything when the only thing that is certain is uncertainty? Welcome to the Lifting with Bipolar podcast, the show designed to be an educational safe haven offering real-world solutions for real-world people. My name is Jonathan Sharko. Living with Bipolar 1 in today's world is a double-edged sword, but I'm here to work through it with you. Let's get right into today's episode. Alrighty, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Lifting with Bipolar podcast. And again, with our uh, distinguished guest, certified personal trainer and longevity coach, Brett Scranton. Brett's going to be joining us today and talking about the topic of sleep, which is very important for everybody, every human, every human needs to sleep. So this is a universal topic. I'm just expecting everybody to kind of tune in. Uh, we got five questions lined up today, and let's just kind of jump right into it, Brett. Uh, why is sleep so darn important? Hey, I wanted to start and just say in honor of our sleep podcast, I know we're both wearing a couple of funny things. I've, I've chose to wear my Emirates first class uh, pajama shirt that I got in April on my free uh, first class trip to Italy and Greece. So not economy, not business, but first class. So uh, I, I recommend our next podcast, we really get into luxury free air and hotel travel on credit card points. <laughs> Let's do it. We can even do it. We can even one up and then record the podcast on a first class flight. How about oh, that? Oh my gosh, that's what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm rocking my wife's uh, sleep robe as well, so we're all, all comfy and cozy for today's episode for those joining us on YouTube and tuning in and wondering what the heck these guys are wearing today, but <laughs> we're on the topic of sleep. We are cozy, uh, so let's just get right into it, and yeah, go ahead, Brett. Okay, so your question, I think, was why is sleep important? Mm -hmm. and, yes. Um, I think this is a great first question to start with. It's uh, Everyone knows sleep's important, but we really it's a, it's a great idea to get into it a little bit. And um, fundamental to the sleep-wake cycle, I wanted to go here first, is um, what's known as our circadian rhythm. The circadian rhythm allows all organisms, so us humans, animals, plants, and even single-cell microbes, to be active and to rest at the proper times of day, and to ensure that various systems are operating at peak efficiency during the appropriate parts of the cycle. So every cell in our body has an optimal time to be turned on and off. So that's what we're really, really getting down to. The word circadian is derived from the Latin phrase um, circa diem, which really means about a day. And um, there's a really a famous a scientist named Sachin Panda. He's a PhD professor at the Salk Institute of Biological Studies, and he's a leading expert in the field of circadian rhythm research. So he has developed, and I wanted to go through these real quick, six simple rules to take care of our circadian rhythm for optimal longevity. And they deal with a number of things, but first and primary is going to be sleep. So they deal with things like sleep, nutrition, exercise, sunlight, and it's all about the timing of those things. So circadian biology is also known as chronobiology. And it defines a term that's used called zeitgeibers, which is a funny word. Um, it, it is translated to mean time givers or time cues. Then these act as cues in the regulation of our body's biology. So um, we could almost do a podcast on circadian rhythm, you know, if we want to think about that one too. Absolutely. But uh, so uh, Professor Panda says there are six simple circadian rules, okay? So let's list them out real quick. The first one is get seven to nine hours of quality sleep. So that's what we're talking about today. 
Um, second one, and I think all these are pretty easy to um, follow and adopt. So that, that makes it really nice. The second one is avoid eating one hour after waking. So what this does is it allows our body and our organs to react to changes that um, we've made to our alert and our sleepiness hormones, the cortisol and the melatonin, because those take about an hour for the body to process and you know adopt to. The third rule is ideally, eat in a 12 hour window. And that's really not too restrictive at all. So let's do an example. Let's say that you woke up at 6 a.m., which is kind of a common wake time. So my, my rule number two says start, you know, delay your breakfast or your first bite until maybe 7 a.m. So give yourself that one hour delay. And then really you've got that 12 hour window. So kind of try and finish your eating by about 7 p.m. if you want to think of it that way. So the idea here is generally we want to eat during the day and fast at night is really what is going on there. The fourth um, circadian rule is get 30 minutes of daylight exposure every day. So this is going to do a lot to regulate our sleep and our wake cycles. And we kind of talked about this in a past uh, podcast with vitamin D mm -hmm. so that the light information coming into our eyes um, helps our um, SCN, the suprachiasmatic nucleus or the circadian pacemaker um, regulate the cortisol and the melatonin to tell us to be alert or tell us to get sleepy. It also boosts our brain health and gives us vitamin D. The fifth rule is get 30 minutes of daily exercise. So exercise drives up a thing called our sleep hunger. Um, there's a chemical called adenosine. It's actually part of our energy currency, ATP, adenosine triphosphate. But exercise actually helps us sleep and it's very circular. Sleep helps us exercise as well. So both are very important um, in managing our, our sleep outcomes. And then the sixth rule is when you're two to three hours before bed, avoid food and dim your indoor lighting. So there again, we're talking about light exposure. So light governs our sleep and our alert hormones. But to get to the question that you asked, so I wanted to preface with, with a little bit of circadian biology. What happens in sleep are five to six critical survival functions. First is restoration and repair of our cells, our tissues, and our organs. So for example, when we, if we lift weights, um, what's going to happen during the sleep cycle is the repair of muscle tissue. So that happens during sleep. The second big thing is hormone production. So a lot goes on when we're uh, conducting sleep. So the tissue building hormones such as testosterone and growth hormone are going on during sleep. In fact, we know that um, testosterone is known to be at its lowest level at about 8 p.m. and then it rises to its peak at 8 a.m. So during that you know, that sleep episode is when it's really um, building. Mm -hmm. and, and, and as well, sleep and alert hormones, etc., are all governed uh, during this process. The third uh, survival function is by resting our mitochondria, this protects our neurological and our cognitive processes. So memory, problem solving, anything like that. Um, the fourth thing that sleep helps support is it maintains our cardiovascular health. So our heart rate actually slows down materially during sleep, and this helps us regulate our blood pressure. Um, sleep supports healthy metabolism, which is pretty interesting. It, it optimizes our insulin function, and it balances a couple of um, hormones dealing with hunger and satiety or feeling full. Um, and then sixth, it builds our chemical defense with a stronger immune system. 
So as you can imagine, quality sleep optimizes all these things. And the other side of the coin, poor sleep gives poor outcomes in these areas, which, you know, is not good for our metabolic health, our heart, our brain health, our immune function, and our cellular repair. So it's, it gets into a lot of important stuff there. Yeah, no, very interesting. I like these six rules. Um, I like. I remember. I remember hearing Doctor Sacha Pandan on maybe an, another fellow uh, doctor, uh, Doctor Rhonda Patrick. I think they're kind of do some collaborations and do some things here in their podcasts. And I know he's very in tune to waking up with the and getting that morning sunlight. And also on the key part is maybe that that the kind of three hours, the kind of closing of the day, like restricting your food. And then I think he's really known for really dimming the lights in his house. Maybe only. Um, studying by candlelight and really some of those things to really enhance, uh, you know, I, I want, I want to say it's like the melatonin production or really, um, kind of what, what those kind of chemicals are doing to enhance and really be able to rest, restful fall asleep, cutting out the Absolutely. blue light, cutting out the yeah, blue light, which is so common. For, and then, I'm mm -hmm. just kind of just starting to learn about it now. And I just feel like it's so important and, uh, I'm glad it's dawning on me to pay more attention right now. Yeah. And I love how these are kind of like all like free accessible things that we could do, like getting 30 minutes of sunlight. It's not like you need to go out and buy some equipment or buy a device or something like that. This is all relatively accessible depending on what part of the world you're living in. Not necessarily if you're living in the Antarctic or something like that or in the Alaskan areas in the wintertime, things like that. But really for the majority of the population here in the world is really accessible to do some of these things that some of these rules. So very true. Um, what are some things that maybe we could do to who are those who are struggling with our sleep to maybe kind of improve our sleep? That's such a great question, and it's, it's a very individualized um, thing, of course, but I think there's some common denominator stuff, some really uh, fundamental things that we can take care of that will go a long way towards helping us. There's a famous, a world-famous sleep expert. His name is Dr. Matt Walker. He's a PhD of neurophysiology at UC Berkeley, and he states there are some fundamental things that we can both do and avoid doing to help ourselves out in the case of getting booking those seven to nine hours of quality sleep on the avoid list is some common sense stuff but let's go through it real quick um, one is avoid caffeine up to 10 hours before bed so if you're calculating i'm going to bed at 10 p.m kind of you know reduce that caffeine or make sure you end it by noon some people would say even 12 to 14 hours i think that's probably a little bit on the uh, higher side um, the cardiologist I interviewed, Dr. Mike Twyman, he did tell us there's about a 12-hour half-life with caffeine, so it's worth about 50% of its value still after 12 hours. So that's just kind of, and everyone's has different sensitivities to things like caffeine, so it, it might impact you more than other people. Mm -hmm. So that's just something to think about. Um, alcohol is uh, a sleep disruptor. Um, so the general rule is to avoid alcohol three hours before bed, but if you can avoid it altogether on most days, that's going to serve you much better. There's a famous um, study from 2018 from the Sleep Foundation that even if you enjoy less than two drinks, and they define a drink as a pretty small amount, five ounces of wine. So I know when I pour a glass of wine, it's more like nine ounces. So <laughs> five is not a very much... Um, material. If you have less than two drinks, you're going to experience on average about a 9% 9% sleep disruption. And if you have two drinks, which is pretty easy to do um, under most scenarios, you could experience up to a 24% sleep disruption. So pretty material impact against sleep is, uh, you know, the effect of alcohol. Yeah. Number three, avoid fluids about two hours before bed. And that kind of is common sense because you don't want to be interrupted waking up to go to the bathroom throughout the night. 
Um, other common sense stuff to consider is um, survey your bed and your pillow, make sure they don't need replaced. So if they're uncomfortable, that's not going to help you very much. And then other is uh, manage your stress and anxiety. So kind of do some uh, techniques that help you experience more joy and manage your stress. That's going to go a long way towards helping your sleep. And then things that will get in the way, just lifestyle things would include like jet lag from travel because you're experiencing new time zones and changes there. And then I know JJ, some stuff like your shift work can also um, interfere with quality sleep and you're kind of working through that, I think, right? Correct. Yeah. And then, and then um, on the side of what we can do to improve sleep. So we've talked about stuff to avoid the landmines to avoid. So now let's talk about what is going to help us. So the first thing, and the, maybe the most important thing is establish a routine. So that sounds very easy and kind of like, okay, so what? But the same bedtime and the same wake time have a lot to do with um, improving the quality of your sleep cycle. Their circadian clock pacemaker thrives on regularity, not just in terms of bedtimes and wake times, but meal times, um, all kinds of other activity times. The regularity of our day is really important. Um, number two is uh, recommended, and that is to practice an unwind routine. So what, what might that look like? Maybe it could include reading, stretching, meditation. So anything to kind of help you kind of land into a calm uh, zone for preparing for uh, sleep. Mm -hmm. The third one I've tried, and I know um, some people I know do this, and seems like a little bit of a hassle, but um, and that is a hot bath or a hot shower before bed. It's known to help people fall asleep up to 25% faster. So that's actually pretty, um, pretty significant tool. Um, and the next one I'm going to say, I, I think people know it's going to maybe conflict with what I just said. And that is seek out a, in, for your bed in, bedroom environment, a cool, quiet and dark environment. So how does that, uh, jive with taking a hot bath because we just said, you know, we want to be cool. Well, um, if, if we're seeking a cool body temperature, the reason that a hot bath works is Dr. Walker explained this in one of his podcasts, the bath water rushes the blood to the surface of the skin. And so that leads then to a cooling of the core body temperature. And I guess it's just really effective that way. Um, the fifth thing I think we talked about before and even earlier today, get sunlight from the outdoor atmosphere upon waking. And again, think about that you've got a clock and you've got a pacemaker called the suprachiasmatic nucleus that's in your brain, in your hypothalamus. When it receives that information from the atmospheric light, it is resetting your circadian clock. So it's going to do you a lot of favors in terms of more energy and alertness, but also um, experiencing the right timing for your sleepiness or your melatonin production upon bedtime. And then there's just one other tool, um, which this one really is, uh, people have different set of perspectives, including the experts, and that is naps. So some people enjoy them. Some people think they interfere with their sleep. So I know like Dr. Huberman, Andrew Huberman from Stanford mm -hmm. loves naps. Dr. Matt Walker doesn't. So there's two preeminent sleep experts that disagree. But if you do enjoy them, there are a couple of pointers. One is limit your naps to 20 to less than 60 minutes. So, you know, kind of keep it under an hour. Mm -hmm. And then also um, limit them to take place before the mid-afternoon. So call it before 2 p.m. Having a nap too late in the day, this makes sense to me, is akin to snacking before dinner. So it kind of might spoil your sleep if you undertake a nap too late in the afternoon. 
Yeah. No, again, those are all great tips about how to improve our sleep. And it really kind of opens my eyes. It really kind of starts in the morning with not even, you know, not even thinking about going to sleep, but with really with that super chiasmatic uh, nucleus, just getting that morning sunlight and having an opportunity to kind of really reset your circadian rhythm. All the cells in your body are on a timer. So um, that's, yeah. stuff, that's something, something I definitely knew. You know, it's pretty, pretty popular for people to have a comfy place, you know, invest in a mattress, invest in pillows, some of those things, but taking a hot shower before bed. I think more and more people are realizing the, the importance of meditation or journaling or doing something to kind of get off your phone or unwind. But I think I've heard about this like three, two, one rule where it's like three hours before bed, you cut off food, two hours before bed, you cut off fluids, which is pretty interesting to me. And like, not a lot of people know, like just to stop drinking fluids. And so it doesn't interrupt your sleep and not making runs to the bathroom in the middle of the night. And then that one hour before bed, um, cutting off that blue light, cutting off those devices and really just kind of unwinding. And those are kind of some ways to improve your sleep. But again, really great information, Brett. Um, let's see here with, when it comes to sleep aids, I know it's really popular, like over the counter stuff. People want to take melatonin. Um, what's kind of your stance or what's kind of the research that you found, uh, found on that, on that subject of taking melatonin as a sleep aid? Yeah, it's very popular. And I actually have friends who take it and do really well on it. I seem to be immune to it. I don't think it really works for me too well. Um, so the main tip there, like most things like with food and, and a lot of sleep ideas is find what works for you. But in, and in um, learning from some of the experts, so again, Dr. Huberman and Dr. Walker talked about this specifically, they advise against it. And the reason they do so is they remind us that melatonin is a hormone produced in our body. Um, it's not, so the melatonin supplements are not highly regulated. And they've done, undertake some studies and the contents in the melatonin supplement can vary wildly from 15% to more than 400 times what's listed on the bottle. So you're not going to get too much consistency um, in the product um, over time if you try it is the idea. But the main thought is that our circadian biology, the regulation of the melatonin and the cortisol doesn't need um, exterior influence from a supplement. Yeah. And I would consider uh, on the same token, like I remember we just brushed over it, but the, the coffee, the caffeine thing with, and really just kind of delaying your care, like kind of cutting off that caffeine 10 to 12 to 14 hours before bedtime. I feel like that kind of, without reaching and spending money on a, on a supplement that's unregulated or really not consistent, you know, maybe that's just a simple hack as well. I mean, we're big coffee drinkers. I'm having coffee myself. Um, I think on a previous episode of Andrew Huberman's podcast, he even talked about delaying his first cup of coffee for a few hours to kind of let his natural hormones and kind of natural system to kind of wake up before he reaches for anything and really tries to minimize that thing. So, I mean, in a world where there's a coffee, yeah, yeah, you've heard that as well. Yeah, and that goes along with that one of those six rules is to kind of wait that one hour before you do your eating. Probably coffee mm -hmm. goes in there too. So like to your point, let the hormones kind of um, settle in on the changes that just undertook when you woke up and got that light in your eyes. Yeah, yeah. Our bodies are really magical being, or ma magical things and magical systems. And it's really, you know, we just, we're just kind of discovering all this new research and really kind of, the, I feel like the more we kind of get out of the way and let our bodies do the work and kind of um, do some natural, more simple things to really enhance it, the better we can be and the better we can sleep. Um, Very true. So, so we are talking about fitness today. Um, this is like a relatively a fitness podcast in addition to talking about mental health. But um, for those of us who are really trying to focus on their body composition and their fitness how to, and really their weight, um, how is something that sleep, have, does sleep have kind of any influence on how much you weigh, your body composition or kind of your performance in the gym? Yeah, and so I, I, I like this question. Um, I learned some stuff from one of Dr. Walker's podcasts, and he spoke to this very issue. 
And what he uh, has studied, because he runs a sleep clinic, and so he does a lot of studies of people, um, underslept or poorly slept people, so people that sleep five hours, less than six hours, are going to end up um, consuming up to 300 to 400 extra calories per day. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is, you know, poor sleep kind of interferes with the hormone balance. So it's going to increase our cortisol. And that leads us to moving into what's called starvation mode. So we'll kind of reach for those unhealthy snacks, the fat, the processed, you know, refined carbs and stuff like that. Um, and it's also been found out that there's the two important hormones that are known to govern our um, hunger and satiety. So one's called leptin, and that's the hormone that governs us to feel full. That goes down on average about 18%. So we feel less full when we're not sleeping. So that's, that's a problem. And the other hormone is called ghrelin, um, and it's the one that's designed to help us feel hungry. So it revs up our hunger. And there too, with poor sleep or undersleeping, um, the ghrelin is going to go up about 28%. So it's going to rev up and call it, cause us to be more hungry. And then um, what I've read too is that um, poor sleep kind of messes around with um, weight management too, because let's say that you um, have a low amount of calories. What will happen is you will lose muscle instead of fat um, mm. by being underslept. So it, again, has a lot to do with the mismanagement of the hormone productions. So um, sleep is just really critical in the metabolism and in the whole area of weight management and, you know, the calorie consumptions and things like that. So it's really amazing how, how intertwined everything is. Yeah, no, and it's so true. I, I can speak from my own personal experience. I was for about two and a half years. I recently just got onto a day shift schedule at my employer. Um, but the past two and a half years, I was just working two and a half. Yeah, I'm so excited about that. Uh, <laughs> past two and a half years, uh, I was kind of still still tracking my calories and doing some of those things. But I was just noticed, man, I'm so darn hungry. These meals aren't as satiating as they were before. Um, I, I definitely was, you know, I was gaining some weight there and it was just not falling off no matter how much I slept. Even during the daytime, it was just my whole circadian rhythm was just out of whack and my body wasn't really working. I've only been, I'd say about two weeks now on day shifts and I'm already down about, uh, about four pounds and it just hasn't, has, I haven't changed a darn thing. I've just been doing everything I've been normally doing, sleeping, st still sleeping six hours, but just more on a normal um, nighttime eating schedule. Um, eating my feet, eating my foods and same thing. So, wow. Um, yeah. For those listeners out there, I mean, I can, I can just personally attest to that. So I'm excited to see just being on a day shift schedule. In addition to the, I think I learned in one of my classes, the carcinogenic effects of working shift work and how it's, you know, you can elevate your, I think they did a study in females where, um, they're those who worked five years or more, um, had like twice the risk of breast cancer. So, um, yeah, it's, it's very important for those of us who are working shift work to kind of if you can't get off it, I mean, I know there's some ways you can't, but to, you know, really be aware of the cortisol and um, being mitigating those kind of calories that you're going to be consuming or feeling hungry. So that's yeah, amazing. Really, that's quite an example of the studies that we just talked about. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of all putting it together. Me personally, just been through that for a while. So um, I know we're talking about foods and really, it's really important, the calories and the, the foods that we consume. Is there anything that we really can do to avoid near, eating near bedtime and at the same token, maybe foods that we should gravitate towards near, near at the end of our bedtime? Yeah, I think that's really a good one. And this might be an issue that interests me particularly because um, I haven't experienced like the most quality sleep some nights. And I know no one can expect to sleep perfectly every night, 
But um, a personal trainer friend of mine, Anna, told me to um, audit my food. And she was, you know, explaining that if we ha don't have enough calories and go to bed hungry, that, you know, that can be a problem in regulating our sleep. And so that might be somewhat true for me from time to time. So it's always good to make sure that you're getting enough calories during your day. But in terms of um, if you need to reach for a snack in the evening, there's good ones and there's bad ones. And so we could go through that real quick. So I think we kind of highlighted the, the bad ones already. And those include, of course, things like alcohol, caffeine, um, and this is common sense, but processed or fried foods, they just take longer for your um, stomach to digest. So it's going to keep you awake. Mm -hmm. And then any kind of foods, even though they're healthy, like watermelon and such, which are high water content, um, those aren't going to do you any favors if you do them within two hours of bedtime because you're going to be getting up to take that trip to the bathroom. And then sugary foods, so candy, candy bars, ice cream, those are going to spike your blood sugar and end up with a, a crash later. So kind of um, make your sleep cycle go bonkers a little bit there. But there are um, a, a good little list of uh, good foods. And what makes them good is we're um, looking for the, the chemical called tryptophan, which I think probably a lot of people have heard about that turkey is famous for containing tryptophan, also chicken. But who wants to eat turkey and chicken before bed? But, you know, that would help. And there, too, we're trying to stimulate the serotonin and also melatonin production, so sleep-inducing kinds of foods. So I did come up with a list, and I've tried these. Um, so if you have them on hand in your house, um, that'll be good in case you do get a hunger pang before bed. So things like oatmeal, um, whole grain toast, milk and milk products so included in that would be like cottage cheese that's a really good one because uh, it's got protein in it um, yogurts are very good so your greek yogurts um, certain nuts like walnuts and almonds are very good um, honey is uh, helpful with inducing sleep and then there's some good um, low sugar fruits like cherries and berries which also are going to be really good snacks for later in the evening if you get a hunger pang so like one thing i do is i get my non-fat greek yogurt and i put frozen blueberries on it and it's a great evening snack i think mm. yeah no that's great stuff i think uh, a lot of people it's really all about the timing it really comes down to the, the, the sequence of what we're you know even when we start our day i mean could you take us through maybe a, a typical example of a whole day for yourself brett maybe like wake up in the mornings you do something you'd you delay what you're eating for an hour and then kind of what your afternoon activities are kind of leading up maybe kind of stringing in all this together yeah and i'm certainly a work in progress so i'm learning and i'm studying the whole circadian biology right now actively but um one of my new hobbies which i think we talked about last time i started about three weeks ago is I do upon waking, um, like clockwork, about 6.30 in the morning, get suited up in my tennis shoes and get out um, and take a walk and get that atmospheric light. It's just uh, so refreshing. And um, Dr. Andrew Huberman said that there's nothing more important we can do to regulate our sleep with the, than to get that morning light upon waking. So like we talked about, and I'm going to start trying this more, is um, – don't break your fast till maybe about an hour after waking. So give your body a chance to adjust to those hormone changes that are going on there. Um, yeah, watch your calories. You know, in general, we want clean nutrition. We want that 80-20 rule where we're striving for good, clean, whole foods, um, high protein content. So manage your food throughout the day. 
you know, one of my hobbies I do in addition to going to the gym four times a week for the resistance training is getting to my park, experiencing nature, um, kicking my shoes and socks off and doing my earthing. So I, I like doing that. And then, um, paying attention to the light environment. So, um, after sunset and we didn't talk about this, but another good thing to do is to get out and take a walk at sunset as well. So I'm mm-hmm. um, getting the, getting your eyes to see the sunset light is part of who we are as circadian creatures. We want to have that definition of the day and night. And once the sun does go down, control your interior lighting. So dim your table lamps. Um, it's okay to do your screen time and even TV time, but pay attention to the clock and maybe stop that an hour or two before bed. Um, if you do need to pay attention to your smartphone, there are ways that you can um, do that or your computer or even the TV. And um, I brought a funny pair of glasses because I like buying stuff. So you can go <laughs> and get blue blocking glasses. And what these do is there's a, there's a wavelength of light spectrum. These filter out the blue light because like, let's say you're taking an airplane flight um, and it's middle of the night. All the um, artificial light and stuff, you know, the TV screen, if you're, you know, watching the TV, it, it fools your brain into thinking it's noon. So mm-hmm. um, that's not going to help you um, adjust to falling asleep. So these help you because they don't allow the blue wave, the blue light wave to come in. And so it helps your body kind of understand that it's time to drift off. There's also another pair, if you want to look like a lounge lizard, they're actually <laughs> red colored and they filter out the blue light as well as the green light. And these literally make you tired. So right now, like if, if I wore these for 60 minutes or 30, 60 minutes, I would want to take a nap because mm-hmm. they're that powerful. It's telling your brain it's midnight. And so um, our bodies have a unique ability to generate the hormones based on the information we're receiving from the atmosphere, whether it's the, you know, the, the light from the sky or from our um, smartphones or what have you, we're either fooling ourselves or paying attention to the circadian biology. So those are a couple of tools that you can look into um, if you want to manage things like jet lag, shift work, um, using smartphones after the time you shouldn't or the computer screens and stuff like that. Yeah, no, those are great kind of tools to keep in your toolbox. Um, I think the only tool, I, I think I do have a pair of uh, not as fashionable ones that you have right now, but a pair of uh, fashionable kind of blue light blocking that I do. Um, I've kind of gotten into re- picking up a Kindle, like the paper white kind of not like natural, not like really the blue light kind of I do like to do enjoy some reading in the dark and some of those things that just my own personal kind of sleep routine. And then I do have like this, uh, it's an aura sleep tracker, but it's just like a ring. I already have the Apple watch. I mean, most people know the Apple watch batteries don't last all night kind of have to charge them kind of uncomfortable to sleep with the aura ring I've had for maybe two years. And it's just been really great, a really good investment. Um, it's the battery life was like about seven days. And then you just wake up every morning. It'll tell you your, your resting heart rate, which is really kind of good to see, um, to kind of gauge your workouts as well in the morning, see how well you rested, see if you're, if you're ready to kind of go, how hard you can go in the gym and really some of those things and see how your ticker. I'm really, I'm just been reading about like heart rate training and, and really like learning more about the heart recently. So I'm really trying to take care of that. And um, it's really important. I do have some heart uh, issues with my family history. Um, so more and more as I get older, trying to take care of that. But it really all comes down to the foundation of sleep. I know people are always looking for the the hack or the tool to get in, to get in better shape to the pre-workout, the caffeine, the the extra ingredient. But really, if you just comes comes down to it, if you mitigate alcohol, mitigate caffeine and just really get a good quality seven to nine hours of sleep with some of the tools that you referenced from 
Dr. Panda to Dr. Walker to even Dr. Andrew Huberman, a lot of this stuff will go a long way. So, Yeah, in fact, Dr. Huberman kind of, I don't know if he redefined, but he more clearly defined his five pillars of longevity, and they really sync up with the circadian rhythm biology. So it's, of course, quality sleep, clean nutrition, and exercise, which he defines to mean cardio and resistance training. So those three are kind of core. Mm -hmm. But I used to think and have read the other ones are, you know, stress management and supplementation. But Dr. Huberman, instead of those two, puts on his list of five, sunshine and um, social connection. So, and those are actually talked about in the Zeitgeibers, um, the, you know, the time givers of circadian biology. So Mm -hmm. I think these people are very smart and we're just kind of catching on to a lot of things that they've been trying to teach us for a long time. Yeah. No, I really appreciate the time and the effort you put into kind of compiling the information for this episode uh, today. Um, Brett, where can we find you? I know you're a certified personal trainer and longevity coach. Where can we kind of find you maybe on social media or anything like that? Um, I just created a new Instagram account that uh, we're kind of joint partnering with, with some collaborations, you and I, and Mm -hmm. it's called Informed Longevity. So just the the two words, Informed Longevity. And then I do have a YouTube channel, which I need to kind of do some management and clean up, but it's just my name, Brett Scranton, YouTube, and you can go find a series of different topics out there that I've kind of done some Zooms on. Yeah, beautiful stuff. No, I'm really thankful and appreciative of your of our collaborations and working together and really the stuff that you bring to to our audience. We're, we'll put this on YouTube. We'll put this on uh, Instagram. We'll do some things like that. And I'll, I'll definitely include your your name and also your Instagram handle and Forum Longevity. Uh, what a nice and that what a nice beautiful name because I feel like we're all trying to not only live longer but live a quality life. And and yeah, a lot of these tool cool tools and accessible information that you're putting together is really helpful to a lot of people. I know um, I've already gotten some feedback from listeners and they really enjoyed these episodes that we're putting together. So. That's amazing. Uh, Brett, yeah, Brett, thank you so much for coming on. We're looking forward to, to getting this on YouTube and really spreading this message. So thank you again. Thank you. All right, guys. This will conclude another episode of the Lifting with Bipolar podcast. Thank you so much. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please feel free to leave a five-star review, and we'll catch you next time. All righty, guys. Bye-bye. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of Lifting with Bipolar. Stay connected with me directly through jonathancharco.com. You can also join the discussion on Instagram at jonathancharco. As always, thank you for pushing your mindset and heart towards a better reality. This concludes the most thought-provoking portion of your day. Don't forget to please leave a review of the podcast as well as subscribe to stay fully up to date. Until next time, be kind to yourself and each other.